Welcome to the EQ Podcast. Welcome to the EQ Podcast, a show focused on equipping ministry leaders within the Calvary Chapel Association in the Pacific Northwest. I'm your host, Zach Lamerson, and with me today is Pastor Steve Winery, and we have a very special guest, Pastor Don McClure of Calvary Way Ministries, and this is a continuation of an interview we did with Don a couple weeks back that he just had so much insight and wisdom to pour into us. We split the episode into two parts, so this is part two. He's going to be answering the question regarding planting churches as Don has planted several churches. And so he's going to give his expertise and wisdom on what a church plant looks like. Uh, In terms of planting churches there, because I've got to get back to this list. You got to know what I'm doing, but you could edit it, cut out whatever. (laughs) 90% of it. (laughs) What? No, this is great. You just keep going. We're going to let you keep rolling. Well, the, the, what happened with me, it was funny. My personal thing, is that I came here, and of course, it, it, the, the biggest thing was Chuck, obviously, to me. And uh, the but I had been to Bible school, but everything I got to realize I didn't know anything till I actually fell in love with my wife, who grew up in an incredible Christian home, and the Bible was the center every day. They read the Word and prayed, and she never rebelled from it. Always loved it. Then her dad also owned a home in a place called Mount Hermon. It's a Christian conference center outside of, you know, there, San, San Jose and Santa Cruz. And he had a place there. Gene spent her summers there uh, working in a popcorn machine, housekeeping or whatever. But listening to all of the, you know, the public, you know, the, the godly guys around the country that came and had conferences for him. And she grew up in that. And so when we were falling in love, we'd go out and she'd tell me all these Bible characters. And that's what gave me a hunger, really a hunger for the Bible. It was, that's in the Bible. That's in the Bible. Wow. I didn't know. I didn't know anything. So we go to England. And then I listened to the word and I realized that to me, because I had been, all I want to do is be an evangelist. Everything I'd been around, uh, you know, you say by through Billy Graham's ministry. I was for two years on student staff with Campus Crusade for Christ. And, uh, you know, with them while I finished up college and I, everything that was evangelism, I, I do conferences for young life, all, everything's evangelism event. Cause that's, that's kind of, that was it. That's all I really knew. And that's kind of, and, but when I'm in England, I realized getting the Bible all day, this is, I, this, this is unbelievable. And I thought, I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to teach that book. I mean, I had no interest in teaching the book because I didn't know the book. Never really, even in all the evangelical circles I'd been around, I'd never really come across people that really taught the Bible simply, you know, like that. And, and I realized this is not a, this is not rocket science. And then I come back and here next thing you know, that, you know, I'm around Chuck. Chuck asked me, it's so funny because I said, he asked me to do Friday night. Well, Sunday morning, there was Chuck at three services. Sunday night, Chuck taught. Monday night, Chuck taught. Tuesday night, uh, we had Tom Stipe or Mike McIntosh. Wednesday night, there was couples and other things around. Thursday night, Chuck taught. Friday night, there was nothing. Saturday night, there was Maranatha concert again. Sunday night, there's men's, or Saturday night, men's prayer meeting too, and then Sunday night again. So the only thing that was nothing was Friday night. Chuck asked me, if, 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 he said, would you like to take Friday night and teach? I said, yeah. 
yeah, I'll do that. So anyway, so I, I'm teaching Friday night. Now you got to realize every night of the week is packed. I mean, we're packed every night, overpacked. I'm doing Friday night. I had maybe 300, maybe 350. You would think if you just walked into the place and you knew anything else the other six night, you think, what happened here? Is, is this, is there, is there a funeral going on? You know, whatever, they're just the deadest sort. <laughs> but the thing was, and, and uh, then I, there was, I'm just kind of teaching through. And actually, I had another Bible study that I taught, just a small home one. But Love Song and Children of the Day, uh, they would come oftentimes to this if they're in town. And so we got to know them things, and they would stick their head in. And one time Chuck Gerard comes and he says, Don, we got to help you on Friday night. We'll just come and do music. We've talked to children today. We'll switch off. And when we're in town, we'll help. You, you, you know, we'll pack it. But, you know, it'll be, you, you've got to do this. And, uh, and how, what do you think? I said, well, let me think about it. So I go to Chuck. And I said, Chuck, Chuck Gerard, children today. They want to help me out. There's nobody there. And uh, I mean, at the time, you who would ever look at 350 people and say there's nobody there? But if you were with everything else, you'd say nobody's there. Mm -hmm. It was nothing compared to everything else. It was quieter. I had one, you know, person's lead, you know, just acapella leading some things in the, uh, you know, maybe a guitar. And, but that was it. And uh, so it, I tell Chuck, yeah, these guys offered to do this. What do you think? And uh, he said, what do you think? I said, well, Chuck, I, I'm just learning to teach. I've never taught. It, I've never taught any of this. Every time I cheat, I'm, I'm teaching. I'm, I, you know, I'm in Romans 1, or so, and then i got to be in Romans. I've never taught Romans 2 yet. I hope nobody comes and asks me what's in the next chapter. <laughs> I'm 24 years old. Yeah. And uh, with it. And so here I'm actually out doing, you know, in something. And, and, uh, and I and, and, and and he said, so what do you say? I said, I, I don't know what to do with the crowd. I just want to learn to teach. And he said, Good. I like that too. Just keep it the way it is. And so, you know, but to me, I, I think yeah, helping people find out who they are. Chuck was very good at that. You know, instead of saying, oh, no, let's pack out another night, you know, or something. It was like, no, I, uh, you know, and Chuck was, he would throw me in. Chuck would leave. I'm 24 years old, three Sunday morning services on radio, and he'd have me do the services. And he was just this great risk taker, you know, with it. And I think ministry is always that. But when people want to plant something, they want to do something, you know, with it. And so I think whether you're planting a church, raising up leaders to be able to look and take chances, and uh, with them and be able to know how the best you can to reel them in. Sometimes it doesn't work well. You know, I mean, we used to say about Chuck, he gives you enough rope to get the job done or hang your, or to get it done or to get it done or hang yourself. <laughs> you know, yeah. He would just oh, go for it. And, and sadly there were some guys that couldn't handle it. They burned and their life, you know, wasn't what it should be, but they, you know, but then, you know, the, one of the things that hit me up, my degree was in business. And when I studied like General Motors, Ford, we had to study all these major corporations come to find. They're used to having, if they're, they're risk takers. They'd have like 20% on the average of things that they shouldn't have done. Ford makes an escrow. 
I mean, that's great. And Edsel, if you remember those, and it bombs on it, loses millions. Turn around, let's try something else. Do a Mustang, you got history. But they're all risked. General Motors called back a lot of it. But I mean, you just look and you think you've got something. And, uh, you know, and Paul had, you look at the list of people that he thought were with him, but having loved this world more, finding out after you've got the finest discipler on the planet, the missionary, awesome. And yet here, Paul had guys that failed, burned on the, along the way. But the, uh, but I think one of the things that uh, when we started, because, uh, you know, having churches, Mike went down to San Diego and in no time, he had like 19, I mean, around, 90, I think, I don't know how many are now, but within a couple of years, like 19 Calvary's came out of Mike in San Diego. And, uh, you know, as people would go, Chuck really had this thing that he would bring out, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. I'm sure you've heard the study on it, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, getting, letting the church spill out into the region, you know, there and around. And very soon we had, a couple hundred Calvaries in Southern California, but we were not having a huge impact in other places. And uh, during that time, uh, uh, John Higgins, actually a thing that happened, Chuck sent me to uh, Phoenix, uh, Church of Christ went under and uh, Chuck asked me to go check it out and they wanted to sell it to Calvary and we ended up doing it, brought John Higgins in and he, that was the first Calvary Chapel outside of the state of California. Many years ago in Phoenix, but that started out of that over the years. I think now there's probably eight or nine Calvaries in the immediate Phoenix. And then that became, again, the old story that Chuck would say, you're Jerusalem, you did you, Samaria. But when you do, what happened when I came here to San Diego, San Diego to San Jose? It was a long story. This actually was a building, a church. It was an assembly of God. And they, long story, that moral issues, legal issues, financial issues, they're being sued by their own congregation. They they loaned them $3 million illegally, and then they couldn't pay even for the building. And it was going to be foreclosed on, and they were in that process. If they lost the building, the people would never get anything. Uh, so they had to sue their church to try to stop the foreclosure and find for some sort of a sale to get whatever they could. And so they had approached Chuck would Calvary take this thing over? And we need 3 million immediately. There's a total of 8.1 million in debt with their other loans. But the the one to keep them out of court was 3 million. And Chuck said, would you like to go up to San Jose? And and I, he tells me the whole story about the church and the problems and the splits and it, but big old facility that used to have you know most like five thousand members. I don't know what it was anyway, but here there was less. There was like three hundred left of them, and uh, it was down to nothing. And they were, I mean, as divided and hurt, hurt, and hopeless as you can imagine. But they're hanging in there, trying to get their money. Well, anyway, so he said, would you go? He tells me this whole story. I said, Chuck, you can't be serious. And he said, I am. And he said, we can't get anything going in the Bay Area. We've tried and tried and tried nothing. He said, maybe just, you know. And so I said, Chuck, we plant churches. I said, you, do, you, do you realize, Chuck, there is, I'll never forget, we laughed like crazy about it. I said, there's a lot more new births on, re- on, on record than resurrections. 
this is a resurrection you're talking about. And we he thought that was so funny, but it ended up. It was, we'd never done anything like this. So, but it, it's funny. I don't know, Steve, what it was like for you up in Tri-Cities, whether you had a Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, or when you came there, people, who are you? You know, whether people look at you. It was, it was you. who are you? Yeah. Well, then you know the feeling because here I, everything I, when I was in Southern California, I thought I was the church planter extraordinaire. I mean, I'd go help these things, put out, a, you know, let the word get out. I'd have two or three hundred first Sunday, you know, with this thing. I'd go do it for a couple of weeks when you, while somebody else would cover for me and see if we can inspire and get something going here. And I thought, man, I'm awesome, you know. So <laughs> planters is easy, you know stuff. And, uh, and so when I came up here and nobody knew, I'm sitting one time in a car, a, a tire place, getting a tire fixed, a tire dealership. And this, I get talking to this guy, sharing with him. And then we end up having a great time of fellowship. And he says, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a pastor. You are. I want to come to your church. He was so nice. He said, uh, you know, where do you pastor? I said, oh, it's Calvary Chapel. And he said, I, as I've a Baptist, Calvary Baptist. I said no, and and uh, and they said no, not. And and so he said something else. And I said, "Have you ever heard of Chuck Smith?" And he said, "Any relation to Joseph?" And I said, <laughs> "No, no." They, but that's when that's when I realized I had spent years building on another man's works. Yeah. And, you know, the, in Southern California, the ground had been plowed, watered, seeded. They were just waiting for somebody to start running the plow. And I mean, you know, harvesting it. It was so in, you see the Jerusalem, Judea, Americas. I kind of leap, took a big leap. Nobody. And then Chuck ended up getting on the radio and doing a lot of other things where, you know, things, you know, took on a different different thing but then steve you know it's like to go someplace and you try to say who you are and it doesn't mean anything yeah and exactly. so you're having to do it you do it all yeah it's you know that's uh you know that's that's the challenge so i think when you're planting something you know chuck with his you know he used to say but i don't know how much we seriously realized how true it was the whole jerusalem then judea then samaria then the animal you know Right. And I kind of went from, you know, we had, we had leap over to where there's no recognition, yeah. you know, with it. And, uh, and now you just got to, it all works, but it just takes a whole lot longer. Yeah. You know, when I came up here, I, uh, uh, I was, um, trying to figure out what I was going to call the church. And so I always liked Calvary chapel, but you know, I knew Southern California and you could put up Calvary chapel sign and people would just come because of the name. And yeah. so I was like, ah, I don't know if I want to do that. Cause I'm just, you know, I'm trading on Chuck's name and stuff. And when I got up here, nobody, nobody knew what a Calvary chapel was. Yeah. And so it was, it was really awesome because I've yeah. always loved the name. So, uh, you know, uh, Don, I wanted to ask you, 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 you covered the, what was going on in the country uh, when the Jesus movement started. And you've talked about the similarities um, what do you think are the differences between now and then? Any anything that that makes this like, you know, I'm I'm like you. I'm I'm really hoping for God to move and and just work in people's lives and you know have another Jesus movement. But uh, do you see any dis dissimilarities between the two times? I think it's much scarier. 
Now, whether I was just young and dumb, you know, and you know, at the at that time and didn't really realize, I don't think that I had a you know mind that wrapped in. You get to my age, George, you see the internet, you see the world, you see things. And you realize all the things that people invest in or hope in or building towards that give them some sort of a foundation or hope of stability. And because I was so young and you don't think of stability or what's going on or I will make it all, who cares, we're going to be fine or whatever you think. But at this point, when we're looking here from at the big picture, you look at China, you look at Taiwan and you realize that this is something. In fact, it's interesting, Michael right now is just going into escrow on a Taiwanese church mm-hmm. and uh, uh, that uh, here in town, you know, buy for, they're for, build for a Bible college. But the, uh, and you realize with these people that they are now actually getting ready for what they believe will be a huge number of refugees because they're convinced China's coming yeah. and going, that there's going to be a war in Taiwan. They look at this, they're trying to get allies, they're trying to do it, but as a nation and realizing there's not much to stop them now. And, uh, you know, really, and uh, and on one hand, you know, we'll do maybe a lot of saber rattling and, and yelling and screaming and jumping up and down. I don't think this present uh, administration or anybody around it has the will at all to do anything with China. Or really with Russia, for that matter. I think that they just look at us and, you know, uh, Reagan did pretty good. I, you know, whether uh, Trump seemed to be a pretty strong uh, guy in this and, you know, stood up to North Korea and things. But when you when you look here uh, at the world and realize, are we really in sit back? Are we being set up for the end? To me, absolutely. Will God be merciful to us? You know, one more time, who knows? I mean, everything, whether, you know, God is just, you know, again, I, I do believe that that the Lord is, there's a strong delusion to have intelligent people around our leadership in our country, either to become such overwhelming cowards, uh, you know, overnight for fear of, you know, fitting in with all of their cronies. But to say that things are saying you, I mean, we're like, we're like governors. We're looking at congressmen, senators who are afraid to define a wound, yeah. you know, and or to take a stand at all against this trans stuff where you're taking a human being. And to me, what we are watching here is Satan. You know, there is he he, he knows he can't touch God. That's how, that's been settled a long time ago. The only the closest he can get to him is destroy his kids. Right. And to destroy what he made, and that's man in his image. And now when you can destroy where man no longer has an image, he's no longer a male or a female. He no longer, you know, we are so decadent. I don't know. I, I wish I, but I, you just feel like their things are worse. And, uh, uh, you know, at what point somebody there kind of just, you know, you look at how World War II starts and here where there's a you know what was it what i'm trying to think of what country uh somebody was visiting and it came from one of the he, he and the archduke of australia or some austria or something like oh, that you're, yeah you're talking about world war one yeah world war one i beg your pardon yeah. so he gets killed and the next year with those two and then another and then another and all of a sudden exactly. you've got the entire world all the allies are lining up in the uh but we are 
I don't, you know, that's, who knows that one? You just say, Lord, you'd sure love to think that he could one more time, why he was merciful to us in the 60s. But you look back, and that's the important thing to me when I think that we look at. I mean, when you look at things that were so simple, and I don't take away anything from Greg from that because Greg was smart. He was not simple. But I mean, as simple as a 19-year-old guy going out to Riverside and beginning to preach. And what, you know, that's kind of this, the, the movie is Greg's story. But there's also thousands of that story right. in different areas at the time. And that's what America needs, uh, you know, now. And the, uh, but Greg did it. To, and went out and to realize if you really look at the time, you look at season, you look at something that was so unique, you'd love to see something like the coming out of that, uh, you know, movie where people begin to realize I could do that. Mm-hmm. I could do that. I want to go. I want to try it. I want to risk something. And, uh, you know, whether that would be the thrilling thing. And because, and, and, but, but you'd love to see, obviously, the Lord raised it up. When you look at all of these ministries, all these organizations from Christian business, remember CBMC? You, I don't know if you ever had them around you, Christian Businessmen's Committee. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were huge things all over. I mean, all these different, anybody could find the gospel anywhere and it was happening somewhere. And now, it's it's sparse, you know, and uh, and whether at some point, the, uh, obviously the Holy Spirit was poured out in the sixties. No other way to look at. It. There's no person that can has any ownership to it. Billy Graham didn't own it, you know. They came, Billy Bill Bride didn't own it. Chuck didn't own it. They just did what they're called to do, yeah. and collectively, it was unbelievable what God did when you got hundreds of people feeling moved to step out and take a risk and do something like this. And you realize that out of that, I I think God gave grace to our country for another generation. But now just like the children of Israel, the book of judges. So nobody remembers. Nobody looks back. And now the same things that got us into trouble before we got it is worse than ever. One of the things that I, um, uh, I, I got saved in 75. And so, uh, it was during some of the time of some of the things that you were talking about, but, uh, one of the things that really, uh, struck me about, uh, Calvary, uh, because I got saved in Calvary is that it was never about Calvary. It was always about Jesus. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. just the, the whole one way thing, you know, it, the, there are things that yeah, are everybody you know, going around with their finger up in the air. Yeah, exactly. Somebody, yeah. You know, and have I thought that's what air, church was about. Everybody had a bumper sticker with Jesus on it. Almost yeah. everywhere you go, honk, if you love Jesus. You right, know? exactly. Yeah. Things, a, I mean, it was just, and they were, and they weren't anybody. I'm not a Baptist. I'm not a Pentecostal. I'm not a anything. I'm just a Jesus person. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. The other thing that um, uh, you were talking about guys going out and, you know, nowadays uh, it, it seems like when guys go out to, to do churches, what they're looking for is they're looking for support and they're looking for a, you know, almost a business plan and in uh, that kind of situation. And it just wasn't like that with yeah. a, with a lot of Absolutely. these guys. Yeah. You just, it wasn't, it did. Chuck would, it, 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 we would have a joke that he did. He, did he, uh, 
did he send you out? Did he fling you out? Did he throw you out? <laughs> what was what was it that caused you to grow out? But he, it was never what he paid you to go out. No, no, I don't right. do that. But at the same time, see, Chuck, I mean, we've all heard his stories, you know, and I used to kid him about, you know, how he and Kay would go down to the park and, you know, and, the, you know, and then, and, and God would, you know, probably somebody would come up and give him a buck or things in, that he would talk about. But on how a lot of people don't realize Chuck was in his early 40s before this happened. Yeah. He was he worked two jobs in markets. He worked like crazy. And supporting himself, supporting his family and the church. Church gave him everything they had, but that, you know, was a few bucks. There's these little churches, but he so loved doing it. So loved teaching. That's, that's just was life. And so he really felt that that was the foundation of what he was. And if you bypass the process of faith in the very person that's going to teach it, you will now destroy it. And that the fundamental quality of a man that's going to go out you know, I, uh, in, in, in minister, you know, uh, uh, they're the gospel is that does he himself believe these and has he experienced these truths? Mm-hmm. And the most exciting times in our lives were when, I mean, here we were, when I was at Costa Mesa, Chuck did not pay well. It's embarrassing to say what it was, so I won't say what it was. But <laughs> the funny thing about it was, is that it was a time where I knew because I'm pressed. We're just, you know, eating all this, you know, macaroni, everything, you know, all the stories you hear, we did it. And, uh, and that's how it was. One time I was kidding Chuck and I said, you know, Chuck, when you were a pastor in all those years, uh, your congregations, they, they gave you everything that they had, didn't they? He said, yeah, they were, they were really wonderful, you know, when, when enough. And I said, you know, I like that. I like that formula. How about if Calvary Costa Mesa gives me everything that you got and, if I don't need it all, I'll let you know. We laughed about it. But the, uh, in a sense, though, of where, but it was, but Chuck, he, if he looked at somebody and, and he, if he saw somebody that he believed, believed the word, he believed the Lord, that there's something in his eyes, it's that person, you know, he, when he would have guys that came along and were looking for a job description, what's my financial package, retirement plan, vacations, uh, you know, health, you know, some goodbye. You know, that's, that's, you know, the, 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 to me, the, he really felt, and I think, and I'm in agreement on it always at the time, I don't know how much I agreed on it, but it was funny. My father-in-law who loved the church, couldn't, you couldn't get enough of it all the time, like every month or two, I'd get a check from Chuck and the benevolent fund, not my paycheck, you know, for a hundred bucks, 200 bucks. Why did he need to put my paycheck? What's it? I mean, why, that was odd. That went, you know, for a year or two. Wasn't until years later, I found out that my father, who Chuck loved and loved him, and he loved my Chuck, he wouldn't, you know, love Chuck, he wouldn't love the teaching. But my father-in-law, he would give Chuck a check and he'd ask if anonymously that could be given to me because he knew we needed it. And my father-in-law, that was his way of saying, Chuck, you're starving my kids, you know, or something. <laughs> you know, or something. So it was really one there that he was upset. He thought you, that labor is worthy of his hire, and Chuck wasn't doing that. Yeah. To me, I mean, it was a tough time, but it was truly. 
it really came down. Who do I serve? Yeah. Who do I and, serve? Okay. I served here in San Jose for 11 years. The first three years I was here, I didn't think of, I was prepared to go for like three months. I'd set it all up financially. I could all be all right. And I get up here. We lived, you know, we, here we are out of the food bank and, you know, I'd had a home before. I had check on the first and the fifteenth. Got vacation time. Had a car. Here's a had a credit card. Whatever you know, just you do as a pastor, leaning flock. I come up here. All that's gone. And we're eating out of the food bank. The church we actually had a food bank in it, and their pastor is eating out of the food bank, and to, to feed his family. That went on for three years. Hmm. After that, then of course things turned around. And by the I left here eleven years when I left. We actually had reduced, it was 8.1 million. I was talking to Britt, one of the guys last night, and it was somewhere around four to five. We'd reduced it down, but it was always a monkey on your back. And uh, But we had over a million dollars in the bank. And um, and I and the board came to me and said, we owe you three years salary. And uh, we've got it. And uh, I said, you don't owe me anything. You don't owe me anything at all. And I said, we do too. A labor is worthy of his hire. And I said, and I am. I said, well, what you don't know? See, I came I ended up having to sell my home. Well, I had to sell it anyway because I moved up here. Selling my home and that helped me live. And I had all these things that took care of me for three years out of my own wallet. Had to sell my, I had a retirement plan and sold that. And so whatever I did to keep, keep food, that was, but it never said a word to anybody about it. Nobody knew except for Gene. And, uh, but here, uh, during that process, Clinton came up with a loan, or was it, I don't know, a loan that you could get that required, uh, if you could put 30% down on the house, you didn't have to qualify. Well, I, I couldn't qualify for anything because never that, that no job technically, and but here I'd had a retirement thing. I'd you know, can pull that out of there. I put that down, and then actually Steve Mays, you know, he he would come up here and visit me and console me a lot, teach or do something. And we're talking about it. I had everything but fifteen thousand dollars short of being able to do a house we looked at. Steve Mays calls up Ed Ray and Redlands, and uh, I didn't know anything about it, but we had talked and. A couple of days later, I get $15,000, for each as a gift and uh, get the house. So we ended up, we got the house. At that time, and we, then we ended up when we left and I sold that home. I, I, and I, I had far more money than I'd ever had in my life. And I told the board, I said, you know, you guys feel like, yeah. I said, I don't work for you. I've never felt like I worked for you. You didn't call me in the ministry. Hmm. You know, uh, the Lord did. And he is taking care of me better than you ever. He has his other ways of doing it. I'm leaving town far, far richer than I came. And, uh, and there's no way I could take that. And, uh, and to me, I, that's, that's, I think that's where authority comes from in ministry life. And when somebody, you just do what you have to do to feed and lead and, uh, and you watch, you sit back, and, and there is where you, at the end of the day, you're the most blessed guy in the world. You know, then somebody else said, wow, that's a blessing. And I said, you have no idea what a blessing it is. Because if when it happens to you, instead of reading about it, you know, and, and that's what I don't ever want to deprive somebody of, you know, and that of having 
that that you know in fact even when i was up here i'll never forget one time somebody asked me how i'm doing and i said well i'll tell you uh, you know i said i'm learning that a lot of things that i've been preaching for 20 years i'm finding out they're actually true yeah. and uh <laughs> but i think you know so a lot of what you're preaching ministry and we got to tell you to, to speak the truth the word the best you can yeah. but you haven't ex- needed to experience that until you've gone through all these things that we went through with staff and leadership and things that I was never used to. Because when you have a change and you've got to change leadership, got to move things, get it into where that you're on the same foundation. And I never, I, in, in all of my ministry, all of it, I never fired anybody, never had a church split, never had a board split. I had one board member I lost who committed adultery and he came to me and before I knew about it. And, uh, and to me, but only I get here and all of a sudden you've got a whole different world and a whole different set of trials that I'd never kind of known before because I had had harmony. I, you know, I had, you know, my issues a lot were raising my kids, you know, those ages and things. But the, but so, but the thing is, is that above all else, you look at Paul and his credentials, you know, were his sufferings. He, that's what gave him the authority to say everything he said. And you realize who's going to contradict that guy, yeah. you know, and say it doesn't work. Not true. When he's the living epistle of it, you know, so. Uh, anyway, I'm not sure. I, I don't know if I've got all these, uh, you know, with. The, no, that was great, Don. I think that <laughs> you nailed every question we had oh. thoroughly and we enjoyed it. We, well, me and Steve were just sitting here smiling. Yeah. <laughs> Our producer. Well, you like probably got, I hope just... you got a, a, a good edit department. That... <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll just play so. the tape. No, <laughs> just putting it on. It's going to be great, Don. That's that was just really, really good for I think just a number of uh, yeah. people in ministry. So yeah. Well, what you guys have done up there, I mean, it's something that now more and more you know the the rest of Calvary Chapel is beginning to hear. You know, and and you guys were born. So, I mean, in some ways, you know, Wayne Taylor up there, and I love Wayne. I've done, I counseled, he and Kathy, she went to Bible college. I counseled before they got married and we were very good friends, but uh, for many years. And, uh, but the, you came into a world with adversity, with splits, confusion. And, and those are the things, those are good. I mean, on one hand, you don't wish them on anybody, but you do on everybody in a sense, because what comes out at the end when one day you realize, well, we've been there and we've done that and we're victorious. Mm-hmm. And the, the witness is solid. There may be in the people that wanted to go where they wanted to go have gone. And hopefully they're happy and whatever else. But, but you, you, now you get, you get a whole new regional understanding and, and one of the troubled areas of, the movement and to see that harmony and to see that uh, fellowship and worship. And, you know, for years, you know, I, at least because of my role, I guess a lot of email, a lot of stuff gets stuffed in mine. And, and a lot of stuff was, you know, the confusion of up in that region. And I don't get any of that anymore. The, uh, and realize there's the people that have settled and they found they got leadership. They're, they're, they're not looking to say, well, what happened to our region? they know it's doing great. So it is. So that's the neat thing. Yeah. And you just go through it. And 
God just gave you some new kids to raise and work with. <laughs> we're you adopted over, and those that want to go on, all right. Yeah. And then some oh, of them geez. come, you know, walking back. We've had so many that kind of decided to do something. They say, you know, they're back. Yeah. Ron, can we come back? Of course you. Can. That's one of the things, Chuck. Then one time I felt so responsible, terribly responsible for the vineyards because John Wimber had been with me for a year before any of this. And then next thing you know, he did, they wanted to start a church and Chuck said, do it. And I said, I don't know. He's not the solid guy in the world. Oh, he'll be fine. So we did it. Calvary Chapel of uh, Yorba Linda and my own brother, Calvary Chapel of Whittier, uh, both of them. And, uh, but they were longtime friends before. Well, then when they decided to do the vineyard, I mean, that cut to the quickest 43 Calvary chapels went with them when they did that. And, uh, and to me, this was somebody I just felt terrible, but I'll never forget Chuck. I mean, I mean and he knew what I was going through. He said, Don, I don't feel bad. I said, well, I do. You didn't do it. I did it. And, uh, and, uh, but actually Chuck did it too. Cause he, you know, he, he told me to do it as well. He said, go ahead and do it. But anyway, uh, so the, when they went off and he, and he said, Don, I, he said, number one, I don't own Calvary Chuck. It's not mine. It's not ours, not anybody. It's just the Lord's. He can do with it whatever he wants, number one. Number two, he said, I've found, you know, myself, through the years, there's just some people that are you're never going to be happy. Mm-hmm. They'll always be a little disgruntled on what they think leadership should be or what's going on, and it's not happening for them or it's not happening for them here or something like that. And he said, and, and he says, and every once in a while, a door of opportunity out comes up, and a, and a bunch of them will walk out that door. Just be, they don't know where they're going. They don't know if it'll work. They just know where they're happy, where they are. I'm not happy. So here, let's try that door. People seem happy going through it. And he said, see, so let them go. And he said, and if they're happy, then fine. Then great, go do it. I don't care. And he said, but then if later on they're unhappy and realize what I do that for, and they come and say, can I come back? He said, of course you can. We'd love to have you back. And he said, so you bless them when they're going out. You bless them when they're going in because they're still your family. And, uh, you know, but I, I you, that's, he had so many things about him that I, that he really didn't put in books and, and things, but the, uh, that you realize, you know, how, how they worked their way out. So anyway. Awesome. Yeah. Again, thanks so much, Don. I appreciate you hanging out oh, with us. It's been a huge it. blessing. We'll, we'll hope to have you on again and uh, down the road. We'll, We'll call you up and we have, I'm, I'm sure we have tons more questions for you. So, oh. <laughs> well, you can talk to me about women. You ever want to do that? That's a long conversation. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just the other day, I was just speaking somewhere. And I mentioned on how the Congress that somebody doesn't know what a woman is. This doctor does not know what a woman is. I said, now, mind you, I do understand that I've been married 54 years and I still don't know either, but I <laughs> fundamentally know what I'm doing with. <laughs> no, but anyway. All right, you guys. All right. Thanks, Don. Right. Bye, Don. Good to, good to see you. Man. God bless you. You too. The EQ Podcast is here as a resource for our listeners. Check us out at eqministry.com. On our website, you'll find a variety of helpful tools, including past ministry conferences and a contact form to seek out help or counsel from seasoned Calvary pastors who want to encourage you in your serving or answer your ministry-related questions. Until next time, God bless.